looking at the text with us this morning. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Um, easiest way probably to get to 1 John is to go back to Revelation and then head to your left just a little bit. It's a short little book in there. I mean, if you haven't been with us before, this is the kind of what we do is we just work our way um, through books chapter by chapter. Um, so we started 1 John last week and spent most of the week just laying out some introduction to the book. And so I will recap that briefly, but if you, if you miss that and, and you want to spend some more time looking at, you know, dates and, and reasons why and authorship and all of those things, that is in last week's sermon, and you can find that um, on, on the podcast. So 1 John is written by the Apostle John. Um, and he is writing kind of a circular letter. So instead of writing to one specific church, like we saw Paul did with uh, the, the, the Corinthian letter, John is writing a letter to kind of more of a, a geographical area around Ephesus. And what's going on is they are dealing with some false teachers who are coming on and are denying either the divinity or the humanity of Jesus. There's kind of both going on. And, and they're really negating who Christ is. And so John is writing this letter to be passed along, to be sent to all these different churches, addressing the, the issue. And really, he's writing not to the false teachers, um, although they will, they will get it secondarily, but he's writing to believers. He's looking to give them assurance of who Christ is, of, of their salvation, um, of, of their faith. And he's also giving them a criteria of how to know if they're walking with Jesus or not, how to know whether their assurance is, is in Christ or whether it's in something else. And so it's a very pastoral letter. Um, it's a letter where he could really go hard at the false teachers, but instead he comes in as a pastor and is just looking to minister to those that he knows and loves deeply. And so last week we only looked at the first four verses so if you're in 1 John, let's begin in verse 5. John writes this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in, in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. End of chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. As we started last week, and then as we see even again um, this morning in, in verse 5, John is just starting this letter, this message off with a declaration. Now, knowing that it's a practical letter, that it's a pastoral letter, I think it would be easy for us to assume if there's false teachers going on that he would kind of sound the alarm and immediately attack that and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We've got to set up a practical plan. We'll deal with the theological issues later, but first, here's what we're doing. 
And that's not what, what John does. John starts with a declaration, a reminder of who God is, what his character is like. He's, we see this in verse 1 last week. That which was from the beginning, Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest. We have seen it. We testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, right? He starts with just this reminder that Jesus, we've, we've seen him and we've, we've touched him and we've heard him. We've gazed upon him and he is eternal and he is offering eternal life, right? That we want fellowship with God. And then even this week in verse 5, so this is the message we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It's a little bit of a summation here where he just says, look, what we have heard, not what we have contrived, not what we have decided it means, what we've heard, the message we've received, we proclaim that God is light. And John is reminding us this morning that when we start with really with any issue, we start first with God, not with us. And our tendency often is to say, well, well how do I feel? What do I think? What do I want? And then how does God like maybe come into that? And John is saying, no, 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 we start with God his character, and who he is, and then we begin to look at how we come in to effect underneath that. That he didn't create the message, that he heard it, and he is now proclaiming it, that God is light. I think for some of us, and in our culture, we often, we look at, we look at God, and we almost view him like uh, the Wizard of Oz, right? Like that it's this like shadowy thing behind the curtain, right? Like, can we know him? Can we not? Like, He's kind of there, but it's a little bit nebulous, and it's a little bit shadowy. And John is saying, hey, we're wrong. That if God is light, then he has revealed himself. He has shown us who he is. He is not a shadowy, dark figure, but he is revealed. He has been seen. Jesus tells us in John 14, 9, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That Jesus is God, divinity in flesh walking among us, pointing us to the Father, revealing who He is. Listen, light, like, allows us to see. But it, when it allows us to see, it, it brings about some things. It brings about safety, right? That you feel safer if you can see what's going on, right? There's a reason that we, we view dark buildings or buildings without a lot of um, light or, like, it's kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to trip, right? So maybe it's just our own security and walking confidently versus if you're walking through the dark, you know, and you're kind of taking these, you know, steps where you're just, I'm not sure what's in front of me. Light allows us to see. It provides safety. It provides security. Light provides knowledge, right? If we're afraid of the dark and we're looking out in our room and we're like, man, I'm not sure what's in the corner there. I think it's nothing, but your mind starts to play tricks on you. And, and like, but as soon as the light comes and you see you have knowledge and you have safety and you have security, right? That it is no small thing that, that John would start this saying, God is light. That he has revealed himself to us. That he has come into a dark world and said, know me. See me. Trust me. Like, that, you can, that you can have me and know me. Right, movies and, and literature love to build the theme of the, the individual, whether it's a man or a woman, who appears virtuous and good and heroic and is actually deep down quite insidious. 
right, is wicked. And then that's the big, the turn is like, oh, I thought they were the good guy. And John says, look at what he says. Here's the message we proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Like that we're not going to get fooled, we're not going to get sucked in, right, like to the bug, to the light zapper, and then all of a sudden you get zapped. He's not saying, hey, God is trying to fool you by saying, hey, look, it looks great, but in the end, you're going to get got. He's saying he is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There is no shadowy place at all. There is no evil at all that we can trust that what he has shown and revealed can be trusted, that it's good, that there's no darkness at all. And so that's why Scripture will say that he's a light to our feet, right? Like that, that he guides us. That we can follow him and we can see and we can walk confidently. In Isaiah, in chapter 42 and in chapter 49 and in multiple places, he says, I'm going to send a light, meaning Jesus, to the Gentiles, right? So that they can see who I was for the people of Israel and be drawn to it and know me and find salvation and worship. That the light exposes the dark. Listen to what John writes in John 3, beginning in verse 18. Whoever believes in him, meaning Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Right? That we understand that light exposes things. That it reveals what's really going on. So that we have to ask ourselves even today, right? Do we love the light? Because in it we find Christ. Or do we tend to run to the dark? Because in the dark, dark things grow. And we feel like we're hidden. We feel like we're safe. We feel like we're secure in our sin. And that we would fear the light because the light would expose what's really going on in our hearts and in our minds. Listen to how Isaiah writes about this in chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Right? We live in a culture that is often trying to convince us that what we have once called good is now evil. It's wicked. It's bigoted. And what we would call sinful or shameful or in opposition to God is what we should now call good. Like Isaiah said, like, like we got to be careful of this. And we understand that as God steps into the world, that he comes is light. It's honestly, and I think many of our GCs talked about this last week, it's why you'll find people are more comfortable to talk about like God in kind of this nebulous form. But when we start to talk about Jesus, his light exposes. And his light makes people uncomfortable because he says specific things and he discerns the thoughts and the intents and our motives. And he reveals whether we are calling dark things light or light things dark. And so it's not just this kind of little G God that I can't really claim and, and it's down here and I'm like, I'm doing my thing and he's okay with it. 
with Jesus, there's a line drawn. He exposes things. And so John also will write, this is in John 12, uh, in verse 36. While you have the light, which is Jesus, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. John loves this theme of light and what it does and what it reveals. And so what we're seeing and what John's going to show us in this letter in 1 John is that God has revealed himself to us, that we can know him, that we can see him, that the light is a revelation, but the light is also reflected in those who would call themselves Christians and and the little Christ. That if we are walking with him, that we are reflecting his, his name and his character. That when, when folks see something good in us, it's because they're seeing Jesus reflected in us. And so his light is shining so that we can know him, but it's also being reflected. So we saw this as we just spent time in 1 Corinthians throughout much of 2018, that Paul was writing to the church in Corinthians saying, look, you're claiming Jesus, but your lives are living are contrary to that. They're bringing shame, not credit, not glory. And so we want to get your actions lined up with your belief so that when you say who you are, that you are rightly reflecting the character of God. And so John's going to call us this morning to look at our life. As we are walking in the light, he's saying, as we are living, are we walking in habitual sin, constant and steady sin, or is sin simply this thing that occasionally kind of, you know, marks us but doesn't define us, right? That there's going to be a distinction there. And if we are meant to, to reflect that light, he's going to look at kind of three practical things this morning. Um, and he's going to go at three things that the false teachers have said. He's going to kind of denounce those three claims and then show what our lives should look like instead if we're walking in the light. So let's look at verse 6. So he's going to make his first claim. Um, that the, This is something the false teachers are claiming, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, so they're saying we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness. Darkness means sin, habitual ignorance and sin. He goes, so they're saying we can, fel- we can have fellowship with God and live sinful lives, like blatantly sinful lives. Like, like we can know him and, and knowledge is enough. John says, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. Church, we live in an area where a verbal kind of claim of salvation is often perceived as enough. That if someone says, I believe, or I'm a Christian, then we're like, well, what do we do with it? And then their lives reflect darkness. And not that, not that they've been pulled from darkness and they're in the process of transformation, right? We, we had a, a testimony just kind of in GC the other night where someone says, man, the sin's, is sin still a part of my life? Yeah, but it's not like it was. Like I'm, I'm seeing this transformation take place and I wish it was quicker, but it's happening. And I'm being transformed and I'm not who I once was, right? That's not what John is talking about. John is talking about those who are walking in darkness with no desire to look like Jesus and simply saying, because I claim belief, that is sufficient, and I have the eternal life that he's promised. And John says, so, if that's the claim you're hearing, know this, 
you're lying. And you don't practice the truth. He's like, you're a liar. Because we know that our sin has an effect on our relationship with God. That it is not sufficient to make a verbal proclamation. That It has to actually affect who we are. It has to be a part of who we are. We have to put it into practice. And the effect of sin on our relationship with God, right, is that it separates us. Like, Scripture tells us that, that we are all sinners. We have all sinned, Romans 3, and fallen short of the glory of God. And that we needed a rescue. So if our sin has separated us from God, how then can we go on saying, I now know God, but I'm not changed by Him. I'm not transformed by Him. I don't look anything like Him. And so he's saying, how can you go out and say, like, I, am, I belong to Him, and then look like everybody else? It's like you're, you're lying that you love the darkness instead of the light. That you're walking in darkness and ignorance constantly and consistently. But he continues. He gives then the counter to this. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So as we walk as Jesus lived, we will have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from our sin. So listen, it doesn't say as you walk in perfection then Jesus accepts you. He says, but if we walk in the light, if we're aware that our sin has caused separation and that we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us, if we walk in the light exposing our sin and exposing our desires, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Listen, he does not say if you walk perfect enough Jesus will let you in. He says, we walk this way as evidence that we've been transformed by him, that we know him because it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. It's the, it's the truth that sets us free. It's evidence that we know him. So I want you to think about our relationship. So he says, you'll have relationship with one another and with God. If there is no trust in your relationship, how good of a relationship is it? Right? How broken is it actually? Like you can claim Hey, everything's good, but you know if there's brokenness in your relationships with someone due to lack of trust, lack of security, lack of peace. You know. And so Carmen and I can walk in here on any given Sunday and put on an act because we're not yelling or throwing or doing anything, right? But she and I would know if, there's, if that's who we really are. She and I would know if our week has warranted that or if we're playing a game. And so what, what John is saying, look, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another and with God. Like the, that's what he is longing for, is for us to walk in the evidence that he has rescued us, that we're beginning to look more like Jesus. He continues, look at verse 8. If we say, this is another claim of the false teachers, if we say we have no sin, so they're saying yeah, Jesus saved me. I don't sin anymore. It's like, all right. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the first one was, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk a continually sinful life, we are lying to the world. Now he's saying, if we say we have no sin, we're lying to ourselves. That we're not just lying to you, we're lying to ourselves and trying to convince ourselves that we're not sinning. 
so he goes on. We deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But verse 9, what a beautiful, powerful verse. If we confess our sins, again, he's not asking for perfection here, but he's saying, look, we are going to sin, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession here is agreeing with God that what we've done is wrong. And maybe the most helpful way to think about this is, is if you've been around a toddler lately or a young kid, and they've done something, and you're trying to get them to like say they're sorry or, hey, why are you in trouble? And, and they just start throwing stuff out to see what'll stick, right? Like, what's the least I can throw out? Or what's the most general thing I can throw out? And so, like, you know, Jude will slap Carson. And we're like, Jude, why are you in trouble? Because I didn't listen. Well, that's often why you're in trouble. <laughs> but you're actually in trouble because you slapped your sister. Okay. So, Jude, why are you in trouble? I don't know. What do you want me to say? Right? Like... <laughs> And so confession is seeing our sin and not just seeing that we've been caught, not just seeing that we have like, ah, oh, some consequence. It's going, God, what I have done is sin against you and it displeases you and this is how you feel about it and I'm agreeing with you that it is broken and it is ugly and it's not in the light, it's in the darkness and it's not what you would have for me. And it's not this general, God, forgive me of my sins. God, forgive me that I think I'm better. Or that I put off humility and in fact I'm arrogant. And you hate pride. And it is not light, it is dark. And what I want is the humility of Christ reigning in me. So God, would I walk in the light as you walked in the light with humility, thinking, right, of others is better than myself. Right? It's, it's getting into the weeds and calling sin what it is and seeing why the Lord abhors it and confessing it. The ability to see our sin is a gift from God that not everyone has. Because if we can see it, we can have sorrow over it. If we can see it, we can hate it and we can turn from it as we trust that the gospel has paid for it, has covered it, that Jesus has died on behalf of that, and we don't have to walk in it anymore, that the power of it is broken. And so we know as we look at discipline in, in parents of adult children or little children, that there's a difference between godly sorrow that sees sin and confesses it and knows it and hates it, and those who get caught in it and are sad of the consequences of it. That those are not the same thing. And it's why in Psalm 51, where David has um, had an affair, he's had the woman's husband killed, right? As he's like, had this huge, big, ugly sin against individuals that he would say, first and foremost, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Because his sin was not just against them, but it was ultimately against the character and the nature of God. And so when I lie, it's not just a sin against Carmen or my kids or against you. It's also a sin against God, who is truth. Because I, I felt like I had to put myself out there in some manner that would gain me some like, approval that I've already got from God. And I'm not trying to circumvent it. 
And so we have to understand, yes, our sin affects people, and we need to confess it and to ask for forgiveness, but all of our sin also is an affront to a holy God who has only light and only truth and is not marked by sin. And so he goes on to say, so if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And so many are deceived because they don't think their sin matters. The truth isn't in us, but if we confess our sins, means we have to see it and acknowledge it, call it what it is. When we do that, he is faithful. Faithful means he has promised to forgive us, and he will, because that's who his character is. He's been doing it for thousands of years. And he is just. He doesn't just willy-nilly say, okay, yeah, you're forgiven. But it has been dealt with. And it's been dealt with in Christ. We're going to get to that in just a second. That he's not saying, hey, because you're a Christian, you can't admit you have sin. He's like, don't deny it. Acknowledge it. Walk in the light of where you sin and where you struggle because you're not hiding it anyway. Um, When we were student ministers years ago, there was a, a day we had a bunch of students over at our house I think it was primarily junior hires. Um, and I walk out to our garage, and if you've been to our house, we have this long driveway that goes behind our house and out to the garage. And there was a, like a seventh, eighth grade boy, and he's got a brick in his hand. And he's got his back to me, and he takes this brick, and he just hurls it through our garage window. Like, no, no rhyme, no reason, just destruction, right? And like, I'm literally from like, me to Sean here, he just happens to have his back to me. And I'm like, hey, like, why'd you just throw the brick through that window? I didn't throw a brick through a window. (laughs) Well, in fact, you did, as the glass is literally still breaking out of the window as we speak. I watched you. I didn't hear you. I watched you pick up the brick, look at it, and throw it through the window. I don't know what you're talking about, man. I didn't do it. And like, I'm like... Man, what do you do with that? Like, I mean, like just this absolute denial of any sin or any part in it. And it affects relationship. Right? How do, how do you have trust with someone? How do you have relationship with someone when they'll just flat out say, yeah, I, don't have, I didn't sin. I did not do something wrong. You're wrong for saying that I did. And what, what John is writing to us is that if we hide our sin before the Lord, it is as Foolish as this seventh grade boy was in trying to lie to me who watched him commit like vandalism. The one we're like, yeah, God, I think I'm good. It's been a good day. Haven't sinned. He's like, really? Because I see it. So just call it what it is and confess and walk in the light. Because the problem is if we walk in the darkness too long, we get really comfortable in the dark. And the light actually makes us want to run and to flee, that we would be reminded this morning that we cannot hide our sin before the Lord, that He knows it, He is aware of it, and it affects our relationship with Him. Look now at verse 10. So He makes kind of a, a second claim that's, that's like um, verse 8, if we say we have no sin. The false teachers would say this, if we say we have not sinned, Kind of just another way of repeating verse 8. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So you notice he has told us, 
If we walk in the darkness but we're claiming Jesus, we're lying. If we say we have no sin in us, we're lying to ourselves. And now he says, if we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. Blasphemy, right? Because we're saying, hey, when you told us that everyone has sinned, that all have fallen short of the glory of God, yeah, you're wrong. It's not me. It's an affront to the character of God and an affront to the rescue that he has bought and sought for us through the blood of Jesus. And it's why Paul will write to the Corinthians in chapter 4 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, but when the Lord comes, he, he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. He says, look, the Lord knows and he will reveal our thoughts and our intents and our motives. And so we can fool one another by doing the right thing with the wicked heart and people might not know. But he's saying the Lord knows. And so are we calling God a liar to say, yeah, I'm good, I have no sin. Paul, or sorry, John here is not calling us to sinlessness. Yes, the, the expectation is perfection, but this side of heaven, we don't get it. But what he's drawing the difference between is, do you occasionally sin? Is it, do you mark your life with, oh, I sinned, I need to deal with that? Or do you have sin that just flat out owns you? That is just habitual. That is day in and day out, you're pursuing it. Walking in darkness. And then claiming, hey, I know and love Jesus. Right? Like hope to a world that knows brokenness and sin and shame is someone who was once marked by sin who's now walking in transformation. Like how powerful and beautiful is that? Because we're saying there's hope and God can do something about it. When we say, yeah, 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 I love Jesus and I look just like you, it's like, what gain is there? What benefit is there? John is taking sin seriously. He's saying we've got to deal with the fact that we have it marking our lives. But he also sees and offers a solution that we, that we can admit that we have sin and we can make confession before God because it's not hidden anyway. And that, that there's hope. Look, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's already done it at the cross for those who love and trust him. The power of sin is broken. The penalty of sin is paid. But as we continue to live in a world where the presence of sin is here, we have to keep dealing with it. And so it's not that, you are, um, that you're working to earn your salvation. You have your salvation. But this is evidence that you're actually walking with Jesus, that you continue to see your need, that the cross would loom large. The more you walk with Jesus the deeper you see your sin goes. And maybe not that you're sinning, it's just that you thought it was here, and it's actually here. You realize, man, it's like getting married, and you realize, I didn't think I was selfish. I'm actually quite selfish. And then, you know, your spouse works all of that out of you. And then you have children, and you're like, oh, it's still there. Right? 
And then you have a second kid, and you're like, oh, I had more to be pressed on. Right? Like that we, we, we just continue to like push it back, and I'm like, okay, I'm good. It's all been dealt with, and we continue to like hide some of it. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more holy we see him to be. Not that he is more holy, it's that we have clarity to see it. And the more we see the depth of our sin, of how far gone we actually were. It's why as a seven-year-old, you can say, yeah, I have sin. And then as a 37-year-old, you're going, it was, it was worse than I thought. And yet Jesus has rescued me. Like that he took the wrath of God that I deserved. He took and paid for my sin. Because look at what John ends this with. My little children, right? You see this pastoral care. I'm writing these things to you. Why? So that you may not sin. Like he's saying that the hope of this is that you would not continue to sin. But listen, but if anyone does sin, which we will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This idea of an advocate is someone who's standing in the court in defense of someone and just speaking to their, who they are. So as the unrighteous, we have the righteous one standing before the Father saying, hey, this one's mine. They're covered in my righteousness. And it's, right, like, as Jesus covers us, God looks and says, righteous. Righteous. Not because of what you've done in walking in the light, but because of what Jesus has done to satisfy the wrath of an angry God towards sin, towards a lack of holiness. He has satisfied it. He has appeased him. He's made atonement. Listen, for he is the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's saying, look, it's available. It's not limited to just, you know, these few that happen to live in Ephesus or to these people in this time. He's like, it's been made. It is sufficient. But obviously, it's not just that we're all then saved. Because otherwise, why is he talking about, hey, you're going to continue to need to confess and to repent? He's going to go on later and say that there are those who will claim to have eternal life who don't. It's not just this assumption that we all have it. But the offer is there. That we have an advocate on our behalf. That it's at the cross where Jesus' perfect, faithful, obedient, humble life instead of our sinful one goes to the cross and now we don't stand condemned and accused and guilty. Jesus pays it. And then he beats sin and Satan and death when he is resurrected. And it's at this it's the mercy seat where, where God meets us. And he says, yeah, your sin marked you as opposed to me, as rebel to me. But in Christ, at the cross, you now have me. We can meet, and you can become sons and daughters of the light because Jesus has done what you were unable to do. So church, here's where I want us to end this this morning couple different things. One, if you can see, right, like if you can see Jesus, if you can see your sin, don't take that for granted. So many are walking in darkness. So many are walking in, and just kind of like living in it and okay with it. 
They don't see as so clearly that their sin is an affront to a holy God, where they're able to confess it, to war against it. Don't take that for granted, that you have seen Jesus. Second thing, are you walking in the light? Psalm 139, the psalmist writes this, search me and try me, know me. Is there any way in me that is displeasing to you? That would be our prayer this morning. God, is there, is there any way right now where I'm lying to the world, where I'm lying to myself, where I might be calling you a liar because I'm hiding or covering sin, where I'm unwilling to confess it or to deal with it? So in that prayer this morning may look like repentance and confession, right? Confession and repentance this morning as we confess, God, here's how you view this sin. Help me to see the ugliness of it so clearly that I would turn from it, that I would see it as you see it, not in the dark, but in the light. So that we would not take seeing for granted, that we would ask him to reveal any ways in us, that we would repent and confess. And this morning, that we would just look at Jesus. Right? It, it's not a pastor, it's not a church, it's not a Sunday school teacher, right? It's not our lives that have made us right with God this morning. But that we would look at and worship and praise the one who has. Who did what we could not do to appease the wrath of God. To bring us into the family as sons and daughters. And now as we are being transformed, as we're walking, as we're able to just say, hey, here's where I mess up, here's where I sin, here's where I, I need to be dealt with. Right? Like there's, there's beauty in that. Because I'm not looking to impress you because Jesus has already rescued me. So I can say, hey, here's where I struggle. And I want to walk in the light in this. That gives hope to those who right now feel like I can never voice my sin. I can never own it. Because there's no security in Christ. Church, John is, is, is laying a foundation for how to know that we have assurance in Christ. He's given us criteria for how we can begin to kind of walk and to test these things and to look at it. And so this morning, we start with confession and with repentance. And so the band is going to come back up as soon as I'm done praying. Um, But before we stand and sing and worship our King this morning, we just want to have a moment where we ask the Lord to reveal our hearts, to expose areas that maybe we have hidden better than we anticipated. And if you need someone to talk to or to pray with, there'll be some folks in the back of the room. Get up and grab your gospel community leader if you need to. Like, movement during this time is okay. We're not looking to impress one another. We're looking to be obedient to the Spirit. And so if you need to deal with something this morning, I promise you, as soon as you walk out of the door, it gets easier to say, I'll deal with that later. If the Spirit is impressing something upon you this morning, deal with it this morning. And maybe, just maybe for the first time, you're realizing, man, I have been walking the entirety of my life in darkness masquerading as light. And Jesus is freeing me and saving me for the very first time. If that's the case, please tell us. Let us celebrate and and, and share with you and pray with you in that regard. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, And then after that, would you just enter a time of asking the Lord to, to reveal what's in your heart right now?